0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm one of your hosts, Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm your other host, Ren Watsworth. And we are here in the studio with two of our amazing reporters, if they'd like to introduce themselves.
0: Hey, I'm Rylan. I'm Coda Babcock. And we also have Sports Director Nick Baker. What's up, everybody? Not much, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Right on. Well, uh, let's get started with you, Nick. What is happening in the world of sports?
2: Well, it's a big time, the biggest time of the year. Arguably, the Super Bowl is happening uh, this upcoming Sunday between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm stoked. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, both of the teams are, um, you know, but when, when we come into the playoffs, Both looked like they were going to the Super Bowl, but if you look preseason, both of them were really questionable as to whether or not they'd make the playoffs or or go deep in the playoffs. Um, So, so very interesting matchup.
0: Absolutely. And I know uh, fans of both, especially Kansas City, are really excited.
2: Yeah, with Andy Reid as the coach, Andy Reid is 14 and 14 in his career in the playoffs. Um, So he's lost as many games as he's won. He's never won a Super Bowl. He's only gotten to a Super Bowl one time. He's been there, obviously, um, you know, 14 different years he's gotten to the playoffs. He's only been to one Super Bowl and he lost. Um, So so coaches. Uh, fans of of Coach Andy Reid know that he's very, very good at getting teams to the postseason, but he's really bad at doing anything once he gets there.
0: Oh, geez. So what do you think? What do you think their chances?
2: Uh, So everyone thinks they're the favorite right now just because that offense is so explosive, so overpowered, and we've seen in the last two weeks they've gone down really early and really big to other opponents and they've come back and just grinded their way back into games and forced themselves to win um so so everyone thinks that that offense is just unstoppable and the defense is good enough just to keep them in the game um until the offense is ready to to let loose um on the other side the 49ers have probably the best defense in the league statistically the best defense in the league and uh an offense that is kind of the opposite of of the Kansas city chiefs where it is just good enough to keep them in games that their defense can win it. Um, So it's really, you're looking at a, at a mere opponent where it's a great offense and a mediocre defense and a great defense and a mediocre offense. And it's a great matchup. Um, Personally for me, defense wins championships. That's an old quote. Um, And if you look back at every time a top defense and a top offense meet, the top defense generally will take that game. So I got the 49ers in that game just because of uh, the, the way that you see defensive perform in the past. That That is the key.
0: I think it's going to be an amazing game kind of no matter what. Yeah. All these playoff games, everyone's been playing so great, and both of these teams are really just on top of their game. It's going to be really fun to watch.
2: A lot of playmakers on, on both sides, that, that Chiefs offense, like I mentioned, um, there are three names that come to mind right off the bat. Um, Tariq Hill, um uh, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, three explosive playmakers that are really just exciting to watch. And on the 49ers defense, you've got some big playmakers as well. That defensive line is is just menacing, and the secondary um, will pick you apart uh, because you have so little time to think. The defensive line is just crashing so hard. So there's going to be a lot of big plays, a lot of explosive plays, and it's going to be an interesting game.
0: Awesome, thanks, Nick. Of so, course. Uh, is everyone in the room going to be watching?
1: I'll be there. As I said before, for the halftime performance and for the ads, I will not be watching the actual game.
3: <laughs> yeah, I won't be watching. No? No. I don't usually
2: watch sports, so.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. I'll probably be watching, but we'll see
2: i'm definitely watching yeah. of a little potluck with my friends oh yeah very nice the that's best, the best part for me is is uh the events that the super bowl creates even people um like hannah copeland our, our broadcast advisor who doesn't watch sports uh, is planning on going driving down to denver going out of her way to watch it um just to be with friends that's the best part of the super bowl for me um and, and of course like you said the halftime show which is you know always always a big uh, it's a it's an art piece there's a lot of big performance it's uh it's j-lo this year right yeah and shakira shakira yeah both of them
4: yeah i'm definitely excited to hang out with friends but yeah. especially being here as a new freshman don't have a, a tv in my room it'll definitely definitely need to find someone it <laughs> kind of does. forces you
2: to socialize but, yeah. but you know if, if you make the the right the connection then you can go there all the time and it's a good time
1: i don't know i'll i'll host a little yeah party but i won't watch <laughs>
2: <laughs> well if you like halftime performances yeah. this wednesday um uh KCC sports and music that we have a collaboration show at when uh wednesdays at one um and this wednesday it's halftime super bowl halftime show themed so we're playing um only music from uh the last like five or ten oh, um cool. halftime performers and we've got some fun facts on the history of super bowl halftime shows
0: that's really exciting That's pretty dope. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: super super weird again? the first 25 years there were it was they were all themed, and they were weirdly themed. Um, so that's Wednesday at one. Wednesday at one, right yeah. after
0: my other show, the cleanup. With yeah, DJ's you Squeezie. can just stick around. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move on. We got a great show kind of today. We're about to have Coda tell us about our local news. But first, uh, we wanted to ask listeners a question. Rand, you wanna? To ask him? Yeah,
1: them. so last week we talked a little bit about I-25 and the fire that started on it by uh, Automobile. And today, Coda's going to talk a little bit about I-25 too and what's happening on it. But we wanted to ask you, since we're talking a little bit about highways this past couple days, uh, what do you do if you're stuck in traffic? How do you pass the time? How do you keep yourself entertained? What do you do, Max? I sing. Yeah.
0: I sing a lot. <laughs> um... So yeah, we want to know what you think, what you do. Text that to 970-491-KCSU, that's 970-491-5278. We'd love to know how you pass the time, maybe give us some tips. I would love more tips, I'm running out of songs, or just songs I should sing. Um, But we're going to have some other really cool stuff on the show today. We have Katie Knowles, curator of the RESPCT The Dress Exhibit, which uh, explores the role of fashion in women's rights. Uh, We're going to have Ryland with Campus News, and we're talking about some really exciting news from uh, Britain today, from Cardiff. Uh, The news broke two days ago that researchers at Cardiff University uh, have stumbled upon what looks like it could be a universal cancer treatment. And uh, it's really exciting, so we're going to be talking about that. But let's get started with Coda Babcock with local news. All right, I'm Coda Babcock, and this is local news for Tuesday,
3: January 28th, 2020. A section of I-25's frontage road in Loveland will be closed February 3rd through the end of March for, the, for part of the I-25 North Express Lane's projects in northeast East Loveland. Traffic will detour westbound through East County Road 30 to County Road 9, and then to Colorado Road, or Colorado Highway 392, and then from there to South Bend I-25, exiting on Crossroad Boulevard. After exiting, in order to fully make the detour, you'll need to make a right turn onto Bird Drive to continue on Southwest Fronted Road. The Johnstown Johnstown to Fort Collins project will be adding express lanes in both directions, replacing old bridges, improving bus service performance via bus slip ramps, (coughs) and by adding new bike and pedestrian access under I-25 at Kendall Parkway. This is going to be a work zone, so driving with caution is incredibly important to keep drivers safe. Fort Collins' Bar Louie has closed this weekend abruptly as a result of the chain filing for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. A Chapter 11 bankruptcy is often filed by corporations and chains in order to reorganize their debt. Some Bar Louie locations throughout the, city- the country have also faced abrupt closures. This follows the closures of several other restaurants and venues throughout Fort Collins, like the Wild Boar Cafe and the Artery. The 2020 State of the City Address with Mayor Troxell and City Manager Atberry is tonight. The event has met capacity through RSVPs, but it will be streamed at watch parties at the Gilded Goat Brewery, located <coughs> at 3500 South College Avenue, Unit 194, and at Prosper Brewing, Com- Brewing Company and Beer Garden at 321 Old Firehouse Alley. You can also stream from home by visiting f- fcgov.com slash city all one word. Fort Collins Police and Colorado Springs-based police-centered nonprofit Shield 616 are working to get officers equipped with all-day rifle-rated body armor. This type of armor was previously not suitable for constant wearing due to bulk and weight, but thanks to new innovations, it can now be made lightweight. Shield 616 has started a fundraiser to help local officers access this new gear. For more information or to donate, visit justgiving.com slash campaign slash ftcollins. That's all for today. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU FM
1: thank you coda all righty we're going to take a quick break but before we do that we wanted to pose that question once again to you and that is what do you do to keep busy in traffic and keep yourself entertained uh go ahead and text us that at 970-491-5278 once again that number is 970-491-5278 and we'll go ahead and ask nick what he does in traffic to keep himself a little busy
2: Uh, i listen to a podcast
1: oh very cool Um, What podcast
2: so, so I, it kind of changes. I listen to a lot of sports podcasts right now. I'm listening to something called Marveling at Marvel's Marvels, um, where it's these three friends that get together. One of them knows nothing about uh, comic books. One of them is an expert. And they kind of pick, like, a character from a, a comic book and uh, try to pitch it to the guy who knows nothing and see what he thinks. Because um, if you look back, there's some really ridiculous stuff. And uh, it's kind of funny to, to hear a, a very, um, you know, a person who hasn't heard anything of, of that Um, genre I hear it for the first time it's kind of fun and uh, it kind of feels like you're you know sitting with friends the way they they talk together so that that's my favorite part it keeps me engaged especially from driving for a long time sounds
0: like a lot of fun yeah it's a good time all right we're going to take that break but we will be right back and we're going to be talking to Katie Knowles curator of R-E-S-P-C (laughs) P-E-C-T the dress clothing and activism in U.S. women's history if you want to hear that we'll be right back (laughs) And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm one of your
5: hosts, Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm Ren Wadsworth, and we are joined in the studio by Katie Knowles. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit?
5: Sure. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Design and Merchandising here at CSU, and I'm also the curator of the Avenir Museum of Design and Merchandising.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for joining us today, Katie. So um, for those who don't know about the Avenir Museum, uh, what's the museum? Where is it? And uh, what's your role as a curator there?
5: So the museum is located at 216 East Lake Street. We are part of the University Center for the Arts, the old Fort Collins High School building on the east side of college. Um, But we do have a separate entrance there around the corner on Lake Street from the main UCA. And we are the historic clothing and textile collection of the university. So the collection's been around since about the 1950s and it now numbers about 25,000 artifacts from around the world representing all kinds of cultures across time and place. And we're open to the public Tuesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Thanks Katie.
1: So where do you get these clothes from?
5: Our collection is 99.9% donated to us. Um, we have a very small limited budget for purchasing selected items to add to the collection, but we have a great relationship with people from across the country, really, uh, that support the collection. And it is a uh, something that people are interested in, including their items in our collection in particular, because it is used to teach students at CSU. And so I teach classes in the museum building and part of the collection comes into the classroom and students are able to study the actual historic garments and textiles from these different cultures and time periods as part of the learning experience in class.
0: So what kind of classes do you teach with these artifacts?
5: I teach a class called Historic Textiles, which is a global history of textiles from around the world from ancient times up into the present. And then I also teach a class called Historic Costume, which is a class that starts in ancient civilizations in um, the Near East and Europe and goes up into Western Europe and the United States in the history of fashion and dress in those places into the early 21st century. Cool.
1: Okay so in your exhibit um, and in your opinion how has fashion been used as a statement by women to fight for equal rights?
5: So clothing is something that is a common experience for people uh, um, across time in the United States and this exhibit, Respect the Dress, Clothing and Activism in U.S. Women's History, we're focusing in on how people who participated in women's rights activism from the beginning of, of the nation up into recent time were perceived through their clothing, as well as how they tried to communicate their own role and perception of themselves to other people. And this is a common theme that we see as a reason that people use clothing in order to define who they are and how society also tries to define them for them. Um, In the case of this exhibition, we've centered it around the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment in the United States, which is giving women the right to vote. So we have a large section that looks at uh, the white dresses that women in the 19-teens were wearing. And this was sort of an unofficial uniform that women's suffrage activists adopted where you could identify them as supporting the cause for women's rights. But the style of dress that they were wearing in these all-white dresses were already fashionable in that decade. So they're taking something that was already fashionable and kind of flipping it and making it their own. And they were combining it a lot of the time with accessories that are purple and yellow. And that color combination of white, purple, and yellow became this symbol, this marker for people who were supporters of the women's suffrage movement, uh, including men who would wear things like pins or ribbons on their hats to signify with that three color combination that they were supporting the movement as well.
1: So you talked a little bit about the women's suffrage movement. Do you have any other examples of how uh, clothing was used?
5: For women's rights activism? Yeah. Yeah, so the exhibit starts and it talks about um, in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, the popular fashions of the time. And then it compares that to some of the more radical kind of subcultural moments. And one of those is in the 1850s. That's a time period where the fashion for women in the United States is to wear these big round skirts, the big hoop skirts that we often think about when we think about the Victorian period. And that is quite cumbersome to move around in and really limited women's physical activity. And so there was a dress reform movement that we often call it the bloomer style. And these were pairs of very loose trousers. The people who wore the style at the time would call it would have called them Turkish trousers. They kind of look like MC Hammer pants. <laughs> um, and then they would wear a shorter skirt, kind of a knee length, still pretty fluffy full skirt that had a bunch of petticoats underneath it to keep it full. And this allowed for some increased movement. They also did not wear corsets. Um, There was belief by medical practitioners in the um, middle 1800s that corsets were too restrictive and were causing internal health issues. It's still debated about how medically accurate that is. Um, Certainly if you are lacing a corset too tight around you, that's gonna cause some health issues, but corsets are also methods of support and improve your posture so they're changing up what they're wearing wearing these different kinds of styles and a lot of the women who did adopt this dress reform style in the 1850s were also part of radical social justice movements like prison reform mental health reform abolition and women's rights and so this radical style of dress becomes associated with political radicalism, and it's it falls out very quickly. And so not a lot of people adopt it, and it sort of fails as a health fashion moment.
0: So uh, that I think that's really interesting how these dresses come to adopt different meanings, uh, societally, um, and how and. It's it's all it's it's rhetorical in a way, um, especially you we were talking earlier about the white dress and how that was originally in fashion, and then that was adopted by the you know the women's rights movement. Uh, how do you think, as a culture, we create that kind of meaning and we change that kind of meaning?
5: Well, that's a that's a big question. I know, right? Um, it a lot of the time I think it happens organically, but it also is something that people purposefully take on um, as a project and so we see this happening in all different kinds of cultures across time and place where dress functions as a way to communicate what group of people you belong to but also to set yourself apart as an individual at the same time and when we have these group styles that kind of come up and are defining you as part of that specific kind of subset Um, whether that is through gender difference or social class or something like um, participation in a political movement. Once that cause is, in the case of a political movement, achieved, then there takes on this kind of different meaning of remembering. So one of the things that we see happening in more recent times, in the 1970s, in the 1990s, and now in the 2010s, Female politicians in the United States frequently wear all-white garments, and they are calling back to the memory of this earlier style. So you get this different kind of social function and the function of remembering these past styles, but in a very specific way. Interesting. I'm not sure if I answered your question <laughs> that was a it's really big, big question,
2: question answer.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of the fundamental things that people who study fashion history as a field really debate among themselves as scholars is kind of the the ways that fashions rise and fall um, and where fashions come from in specific cases. and it's there's different moments of inspiration and different ways of tracking how those changes occur and happen.
0: And it's like you said uh, in the very beginning, you know, when fashion is all usually someone trying to say something about themselves, and there are all kinds of implicit meanings that some people may understand, some people may not, and that can change. And it, it is a very complicated, growing, changing
5: thing. Exactly. And you have those self-motivations, but you also, again, have society itself trying to define you as well. Um, and and reacting to your fashion choices in ways that you sometimes don't anticipate or intend.
0: Like I dyed my hair pink once and everyone loved it. I thought people would be weirded out.
5: (laughs) (laughs) There you go, you just never know. (laughs) Wait, you actually dyed your hair
0: pink? Oh yeah, when I was 19.
4: I would love to see a picture of that. I
0: I can show you a picture.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So something I'm curious about is, um, were these women risking their position in society doing this? Were some of these women even risking their lives doing this? Was it dangerous for them to be changing up how they dressed? Because I know in the past, dress has been something that was so controlled by the patriarchy and stuff like that.
5: Yeah, and so there are places in the exhibition where we're talking about women who are purposefully conforming to fashion in order to fit in because their political beliefs are not fitting in and they're trying to maintain a certain level of expected gender performance so that they are taken seriously for their political beliefs and arguments and advancing this cause of women's suffrage and other women's rights issues but then you also have women who are rejecting the current fashion um who are kind of embracing radicalism in all aspects of their life both of those motivations both of those kind of approaches to using dress in order to promote your political agenda for these women can result in backlash. Um, And there, there are instances in U.S. history for women who are verbally mostly attacked or ridiculed for their choices in dress. And this can include women who are being too fashionable. Spending too much money and too much of their time and attention on dressing well, and they are seen as frivolous and silly and wasteful. So, Would
1: you, oh, sorry, sorry.
5: So you you get those kinds of examples of people um, in the 1910s. A lot of women who were protesting outside of the White House or marching in marches that happened in big cities were arrested and incarcerated. And then you get a story about their experiences, many of those women are coming from middle and upper class families. A lot of them were married. They're considered to be very socially respectable women. And now they're in places that are in terrible living conditions, um, not given supplied proper clothing, or they're, they're still wearing their own clothing that they were arrested and, and incarcerated in, and it becomes dirty and dingy and damaged. And they're in spaces that are incorrect for them and their social standing, but they are surrounded by women of lower classes and there does become a raised awareness of living conditions for incarcerated women and a lot of the suffragists who are arrested in that um, become more actively involved and vocal about prison reform as a result of their own experience in those conditions. Uh, that includes suffragists who went on a hunger strike in one case and were force-fed, which is a very violent, painful process. Um, and they were protesting their incarceration as political prisoners who were exercising their right to civil disobedience by protesting outside in public spaces. And so that's not directly connected necessarily to the things that they were wearing, but those experiences most certainly um, their behavior was seen as threatening to society and they were punished for it physically
0: wow so a hundred years now since the 19th amendment has passed um, is that what inspired you to curate this exhibit
5: yes um i thought it was a great moment to stop and kind of st- celebrate that and to really tease out the ways that the history of fashion is represented in the avenir museum's collection of clothing throughout U.S. history and how we can tie representations of fashion to representations of women's rights activists and tell this story through of, of the women's suffrage movement through clothing and fashion. It's exciting. It is exciting. I am glad that it's been 100 years. I wish it had been 200 years, but <laughs> we we are taking a moment definitely to stop and, and remember and celebrate that and to understand how um, this moment in our nation's history was achieved and also the time after it. I kind of have... I haven't really addressed a lot of of the time after 1920, but we do have things that go up all the way to um, a uh, hat that is on loan from a current graduate student at CSU that was worn at the March um, Women's March in Denver in, in January 2017. Oh, nice. Kind of the next iteration of the unofficial women's rights uniform is the pink hats that were in that uh, moment. So taking it all the way up into what is being defined as the fashion of women's rights right now.
0: That's actually, uh, that's a perfect segue. It's uh, I think the last thing we want to talk about today.
5: Yeah. So we wanted to know, so
1: since it's been a hundred years, we wanted to kind of ask you what you think is coming next for women's rights and how you see fashion being played in society nowadays, um, with women's politicians, women politicians, and just, uh, movements across the nation in general.
5: Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting right now is we're having a lot of discussion about um, sexual violence and sexual harassment, um, and that is addressed in the exhibition as well. And often that is tied to blaming the victim of an attack because of how she is dressed. And protests against um sexual assault and sexual violence often include people who are wearing clothing that is seen as um, shameful or too revealing and are communicating it doesn't matter how I dress myself that doesn't give you permission to attack me in this way Um, and so I think we are in a really interesting cultural moment for thinking about the role of clothing and dress in women's rights history In terms of where we are in the wider kind of cultural moment about fashion, gender bending fashion is really in right now. And I think that's very interesting to think about the ways that um, the the division of a binary gender system of men and women is being broken down and the expressions of non-binary folks are coming through right now in high fashion runway shows and that is all is the conversation between high fashion and street fashion of non-binary people having this impact on how we all dress and how we choose to express our gender and it's becoming less evident um, when you see somebody on the street and how they are, are dressed right now to understand what their gender expression is. And so that's an interesting thing to think about.
0: Well, the non-essentialism of gender kind of opens up a lot more fashionable highways that you can you could explore and go down.
5: Yes. Well,
1: is there anything else you'd like to add about the exhibit or the history of the clothing in the um, exhibit? I know you
0: said you had some events you wanted to talk about.
5: We do, and so I'll just mention that the exhibition is up um, on view in the in the gallery until May 23rd, so you do have a little bit of time to come check it out. And again, the museum's open Tuesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we do have a couple of special speaky, speakers coming um, related to this exhibition on Thursday, March 12th at 7 p.m., we have um, Dr. Inev Rinbenovich Fox, who is a professor at Case Western Reserve in Ohio, is going to come and she specializes in talking about the history of fashion and politics and women's history. And then on Thursday, April 23rd at 7 p.m., we have a program that is going to be conducted by staff from the Molly Brown House Museum that is in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Molly Brown was a suffragist, and so they're going to talk about the things that she wore and how her fashion choices would have changed in the first two decades of the 20th century. Um, and I will also just say that we do have um, a Facebook and we also have an Instagram. We're at Avenir Museum, and you can find out more about our exhibitions. We have a couple of other exhibits up right now, too, Um more about our public programs and sometimes behind-the-scenes stuff that is going on at the museum on our social media. And we also have a website, avenir.colostate.edu.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie.
5: Thank you very much. We are yeah. excited to come and talk to everybody about this exhibit.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, we are going to take a quick break, but once we come back, we're going to do some campus news with Ryland and talk about that awesome study out of Cardiff. Um, in the meantime, if you want to tell us how you like to pass the time in traffic, you can text us that at 970-491-5278. Katie, how do you pass the time in traffic?
5: I listen to KCSU.
0: Oh, good answer.
4: Uh, yeah, I like to listen to music, so that's
0: what I do. Right on. All right, we're going to be right back, but you are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm one of your hosts, Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm Ren Wadsworth, your other host. And we are joined in the studio with two of our amazing reporters, if you guys would like to say hey and what's up. Hey, yeah, I'm Rylan.
3: I'm Coda.
0: And uh, we just met Katie Knowles, who is the curator of the Respect the Dress uh, Clothing and Activism in U.S. Women's History exhibit. And uh, we learned a lot. If you want to know more, uh, you can find that interview on our website, kcsufm.com, under news. We're going to feature it, so will be right up front with a lovely picture of her.
1: All right, and coming up soon, we're going to be talking about a cancer treatment that may be closer than you think. Uh, and we're going to have a little roundtable about that, share our opinions. But before that, we're going to have some campus news with our very own Ryland.
4: Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, this is Ryland Todd with your campus news for Tuesday, January 28th. Amherst um, Chancellor Joe Blake recently made a $5 million donation to Colorado State University's College of Liberal Arts. Joe's passion for Colorado State is just remarkable," said President Joyce McConnell. His belief is the transformative power of education becomes apparent to anyone with um, moments of meeting him. You are a better, inst- we are a better institution because of Joe and his vision for CSU. The $5 million gift helped the College of Liberal Arts achieve its campaign goal. This gift is the largest in the college's history. It is given it was given in recognition of the outstanding high-quality faculty and students. I have nothing but the highest regard for the faculty at CSU. They're just remarkable, Blake said. An annual report published on January 14th by US News and World Report ranked Colorado State University's online programs among the nation's best. The university's online bachelor's degree was number nine among public universities, rising nine spots from last year's rank to enter the top 10 in the nation. Interim director of CSU Online, Chris LaBelle said, we have implemented innovative learning technologies, emphasized student engagement, and deployed new student resources such as academic advising and career services. This helps to reduce cost and degree completion time. The report also ranked Colorado State University's College of Business Online, MBA, and Online Master's in Computer Information Systems as number one in the state of Colorado. The online MBA program achieved number one in Colorado for the third year in a row. Beth Walker, Dean of Colorado State University's College of Business said, these rankings speak to the high quality of our programs and the value of a college college of business education. As online education becomes more popular, Colorado State University's online degree programs are becoming an alternative to formal classroom education. On Monday, the Colorado State University Health Network and Public Safety team sent out an email to students, faculty, and staff. The email explained that the Colorado State University Health Network has put health protocols in place to screen for cases of the coronavirus. There are no known cases associated with the Colorado State campus at this time. The email made it very clear that the protocols were for precautionary measures. There are many strains of the coronavirus. The common cold, which would be your runny nose, sore throat, and cough stems from this family of viruses. However, the current outbreak being covered in the news is a new strain. The new strain of coronavirus is called novel, a novel strain. This novel strain is causing illnesses at a range of severity. Some contract, mi- contract mild infections and others fatal infections that could lead to pneumonia. The new strain was first discovered in December with one diagnosed case in China. Then, on January 21st, there was the first confirmed case in the United States. A report from Colorado Public Radio, CPR, was published yesterday. It was an update about the coronavirus. There has been three cases in Colorado that were thought to be coronavirus. Two cases have been tested negative, while the third is still waiting for test results from the Center of Disease Control in Atlanta. Those test results may take several days to come back. The patient is being treated in Denver. All three patients showed respiratory symptoms and a history of travel from China. Starting on January 14th, the university started taking extra precautions to monitor for the virus. The Colorado State University Health Network has implemented special protocols to help quickly identify individuals who have contracted the disease. These protocols are also meant to prevent the spreading of the disease as well. In their plan, the health center has included which university offices would need to take precautions if there were to be an outbreak. These offices included the housing and dining services, Environmental Health Services, Facilities Management, CSU Health Network, and the Public Safety Team. The Colorado State Health Network is also in constant contact with the Laramie County Health Department and the Colorado's Department of Public Health and Environment, all of which are working endlessly to monitor for cases of coronavirus across the state. Once again, I would like to remind everyone on the CSU campus and in the surrounding area that there are no confirmed cases of the virus in the university community. The University Health Center cautions everyone that there are no, there are many individuals with the flu and cold across campus, and it is critically important not to assume they have the coronavirus. However, if you have recently traveled to East or Southeast Asia and are experiencing cold, flu, or pneumonia symptoms, which would be coughing, fever, chills, or chest pain, it would be a good idea to contact your health provider. If you have not recently been to Asia, the risk is very low. The University Health Center understands that having the flu or a cold is a difficult way to start the semester, and they suggest getting plenty of sleep, washing your hands, and covering your mouth when you sneeze or cough. If you would like to learn more about the coronavirus disease, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has more information. Their website is www gov slash c-o-r-o-n-a-v-i-r-u-s coronavirus and yeah so you can check that out if you're interested in that um and that's all for campus news for today
0: thank you so much right on so <clears throat> we're going to move on to our next uh discussion topic uh and this uh this uh, in my mind, this is the biggest news uh, that I think has broken in my lifetime. But it was it was, it came out on Sunday and was uh, kind of overshadowed by the incredibly tragic uh, death of Kobe. So uh, not a lot of people saw this, but this is the headline. Get ready, <laughs> Immune Discovery may treat all cancer.
1: Which definitely sounds really sensationalized. As soon as Max brought this up, I was like, uh, I don't... Is that true? Kind of sounds a little bit too good to be true, but it, in fact, is not too good to be true. Unfortunately, it seems like this is still kind of in the works. They're still hashing it out. It's in its early stages,
0: so they they, uh, have been approved to move forward past animal testing. So they've successfully cured all kinds of cancer in animals, and this actually... Is not just cancer in people's blood or in animals blood but bigger kinds of cancer like breast or lung and uh, in clinical tests which which is pretty nuts honestly it's uh, has a lot of implications for what it could do and the cool part is is it uses a t-cell that exists in the body already and replicates it using a method called uh, CAR-T and basically what the treatment would be like is um, a doctor would take some of your blood, use CAR-T to seek out this T-cell, replicate it in mass, put the blood back in your body, and these cells actually um, communicate with what are called MR1 cells and MR, MR, or MR1 receptors. And the MR1 receptor in a cancerous cell is basically giving a signal that the cell's metabolism is out of control. Um, what these T cells do is it actually it actually can find those signals that the cells out of control, and then if there's enough of it, kill the cancer cell. Hence, why scientists realize if you take it out of the blood, replicate it a lot, and put it back in, massive amounts of these T cells come in and kill cancer cells.
1: Yeah. Um... A little correction, so CAR-T already existed, Um, a CAR-T treatment already existed, but unfortunately the thing that didn't work with CAR-T is it only affected um, non-solid cancers, so nothing that formed tumors. Um, This new one that they're looking at, everything else Max said was completely correct, is looking to eradicate uh, tumor spreading cancers such as like breast cancer and prostate cancer so that's a really big positive so instead of it just focusing on cancer such as leukemia it would be able to go across the board which is amazing um so what are some of your guys's thoughts on this
4: well i think if it's if it actually works it could be pretty amazing i mean i know personally i have had a lot of people in my life affected by cancer. And um, I know a lot of my friends and have had people in their lives. And it's just, it's crazy. I was looking at um, one of another website and it says that um, an estimated 18.1 million new cancer cases are diagnosed worldwide each year. And um, according, to the International Agency for Research on Cancer, and like every sixth death in the world is due to cancer. And that's just horrible. Like the whole idea of cancer is just miserable. So yeah, yeah, if this is really gonna work, I think it'll be a miracle.
0: Well, and the the, it's it's so amazing because in general the scientific consensus in the past has been that if we ever find a cancer treatment it's only going to work for one kind of cancer right, right. Mm-hmm. like but, leukemia exactly but um, in in this case it seems like there's there's a lot of problems this could work for uni- universally for many types of cancer and um, there's this great quote I'd like to read from uh, Daniel Davis who is a professor of immunology at the University of Manchester and he um, Well, uh, Professor Davis does, he starts off by saying that since it's still in such an early stage, it's going to be hard to tell if this will, if we can synthesize this into a medicine for actual patients. He does say there is no question this is a very exciting discovery, both for advancing our basic knowledge about the immune system and the possibility for future new medicines. So uh, yeah, this is happening.
1: Yeah, uh, this definitely hits really hard for me, really close to home, because Two of my grandparents actually just got diagnosed with both breast cancer and prostate cancer. Um, So if this does come to fruition, and it comes hopefully sooner rather than later, it would be very life-changing. The thing that struck me as really cool about this, and of course this is what you always hope to happen in things like this, is that the um, T-cells are attacking directly uh, attacking the cancerous cells, and they're leaving the healthy cells unharmed, which obviously is not what happens currently in cancer treatments. Um, Usually the healthy cells are are also
0: also harmed, yeah, with radiation, chemotherapy, and this would cut out the need for really any of that.
1: Yeah, so what are some of your thoughts, Coda?
3: Um, I actually am kind of curious about uh, how this works on people with with, um, issues with their T cells, so people with HIV, for example. Um, Basically, what HIV does if it's untreated or basically like people don't, if they're not tested for it, um, and someone else ends up with cancer, um, I am curious how that would impact it, considering that the HIV cells actually take over the T cells. So if they do that, and then they just insert more, would that just lead to the same issue? It would probably be a probably yeah. be a
0: pretty heavy complication, yeah. So uh, that one, well, that's uh, that's a really interesting question, actually. And I'm sure going forward, there's we're going to be learning a lot more uh, about this and just about how T cells function in our body in the first place. And it seems like you know we have a lot to discover. So yes, it's gonna be cool to see what comes out of this.
1: But yeah, very cool that this is happening in our lifetime. I definitely did not think I would live to see um, a possible this close to a possible. Yeah,
0: oh, that really uh, uh, blew my mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I definitely did not think this article was real at first reading it, and then I saw it was published by the the British Broadcasting Company, and I know they're a pretty reliable source, so I was like, oh, oh, goodness.
4: And it
0: it links straight to the research from Cardiff. It's really incredible.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah, I really just, I hope this isn't like a scam or something.
1: (laughs) Or it turns out they can't do it. Yeah, exactly.
4: I hope it's for real this time.
1: One of the really positive things, um, like I was saying before, is they already are doing uh, cancer treatments with T cells, that uh, CAR T thing, but now they're moving on to solid cancer. So there is a lot of positive in this research and a lot of hope that they're, this is actually gonna work. But once again, CODA brings up a really important uh, topic, that if your T cells aren't functioning correctly, how, Will
0: this function? We're going to have to wait and find out. We're going to, oh, yeah.
4: Oh, I was just saying, like, adding on to what Coda said, another question is basically just what's this, what's it going to cost? Because cancer treatments are already, and medical treatments are already so expensive. So, what is this going to be even more expensive? I would ask you, I would would guess
0: this would be less pricey than immunotherapy or radiation um, just because the, you know, the uh, main the main ingredient is found in your own body, right? And um, you know the the technology we use to replicate cells, like you know CRISPR Cas9, is fairly affordable nowadays.
1: Yeah. I think it comes down to how intrusive this is going to be. Right, that's, that's always true. What it comes down to how much surgery this is going to actually take to
3: yeah to work
1: yeah anyway but i think we're gonna wrap it up and take a little break but before we do we once again wanted to ask that question about what you do in traffic to keep yourself busy keep yourself entertained and we're gonna ask coda what he does
3: i listen to music
1: all right. It's not that exciting.
3: But hey, That's me okay. Too. That's what it, I say, it too. It keeps you
1: busy. But what do you do? Uh, go ahead and text us in at 970 491 5278. Once again, that number is 970 491 5278. And you're going to want to stick around because, as usual, we're going to wrap up the show with a little bit of national news. And there might be something else in there for you on the horizon. You might just have to stick around for
0: that. Yep. In the meantime, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here in 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. We'll be right back. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm one of your hosts, Maximus Hunter.
1: And I'm the other one of your hosts, Ren Wadsworth. And we just heard a little bit of uh, low campus news from our reporter, Ryland. And before that, we heard from Katie Knowles, curator of RESPECT, The Dress, Clothing and Activism in U.S. Women's History. And before that, we heard some local news from our other reporter, Coda Babcock.
0: We also had a great discussion about the new possible universal cancer treatment from Cardiff University, uh, if that sounds intriguing to you, because it, it should, um, you can check that out on our website, kcsufm.com, under News, Rocky Mountain Review. Uh, we're going to learn about what day it is today for Ren, but first, uh, we'd like to know, what do you do to pass the time in traffic? Uh, we've had a lot of answers so far. Singing, podcasts, uh, music. What was yours, Ren? Yours was a little different. I didn't different. say You anything. didn't say yours. much yeah. than you do?
1: <laughs> That's okay. Um, I really like to... Cl- uh crank out the musical numbers. Nice. And just Show-tunes. belt felt my heart out. Uh, cuz I think I can't focus if I do that while I'm driving. <laughs> but if I'm in standstill traffic and I'm right next to a person, perfect time to look like a crazy person.
0: Hey that yeah, <laughs> me too. Sometimes I'll listen to like metal and I'll be like, Ugh, and I'm like, oh, I hope no one's like looking through my window right now.
1: I hope they are.
0: <laughs> oh, man. All right. But uh, Ren, today is someday. What day is it today?
1: Today is actually January 28th, and that means it is officially National Blueberry Pancake Day. Yum. Unlike National Pancake Day, which is celebrated on February 25th, that celebrates all types of pancakes, this holiday celebrates pancakes that specifically contain blueberries. You could celebrate the holiday by making or eating as many blueberry pancakes that fill your heart or rather your stomach's content.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> Thank you. If you've been feeling in a slump lately, today you can take a load off and have uh, and have fun with National Fun at Work Day. Except
0: for us, we were banned.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hannah Copeland, if she's listening, banned us from having work. Uh, so if you heard us laughing. No, banned
0: us from having fun. Oh, <laughs> <my
1: God>. Both. <laughs> 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 anyway. Uh, large... Pro- A large portion of many people's lives are spent at work, so the national calendar suggests you might as well have fun while you're there. It suggests that you obtain your boss's approval before participating in any outrageous fun, but the national calendar offers some suggestions for things you can do in the workplace to celebrate the national day, including but not limited to host a boss look-alike contest. Oh my gosh,
0: we should do that.
1: (laughs) Organize a chili cook-off, go office to office singing random songs, Create a healthy potluck with a variety of fruits and veggies. Set up a cornhole game in the break room or in any appropriate space. I,
0: I like how chili cook-off and healthy potluck are two separate options, just yeah. in case, you know, you want to be healthy yeah, or unhealthy. I'm like, chili's
1: not healthy. Yeah. I would
0: love some chili. Sounds but.
1: great. If you're still feeling stressed at work, it may be time for a vacation, and National Plan for Vacation Day may be the perfect time. This day suggests you get an early jump on your vacation and start planning ahead to warmer days. The saying is true that the early bird gets the worm, and those who plan their time off ahead may just end up saving money in the long run. The National Calendar suggests these three things to start planning your vacation. Oh, and I didn't write them. <laughs> That's oh. fine. Well, we'll move on. <laughs> Today celebrates 200 years of music and an instrument that was founded in the 19, or the 1840s. This instrument was in, inspired by the African horn, the Merlitton, and was created by Alabama Vest, which is quite a name. If Not I as say much something. of a name as this next guy. <laughs> With the help from Thaddeus von Clegg, a German clockmaker.
0: Man, what a name. Thad von Clegg.
1: Do you have any, any guesses on what this instrument could be?
0: Well, I, the script's right in front of me.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> the instrument is, of course, the kazoo. Today is National Kazoo Day, and it celebrates the comedic instrument that is easy to use. It said if you can hum, you can play the kazoo. Simple as that.
0: I actually can't play the kazoo. You can't hum? I can hum. I can't play the kazoo for some reason. Hmm. It just never sounds right.
1: Interesting. I don't think it's supposed to sound right. Well, I'm trying to
0: make some melodies.
1: (laughs) That's all the national news I have for you today. But I think there's one more thing we have to do before we go. What is that?
0: Is it? Yes, I think it is. It's time for the weather! Woohoo! All right, so today it cooled down quite a bit to a high of forty-eight. Y'all probably noticed that. I could certainly feel it. It's getting it's getting colder again, but most of the day was in the low thirties and high twenties. And it's 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 getting gray. It's getting cold. Uh, that's okay though because the sun was shining all day. And as we move into Wednesday, it's actually gonna drop more. Okay, I I gave you false hope. I'm sorry. But um, it's going to drop to 44 degrees, and the clouds are going to roll in, keep it nice and chilly. Um, it reminds me of uh, a, a joke I once heard, um, uh yo, oh, yo Mama joke. <laughs> yo, <laughs> what is it? Uh, yo Mama's so dumb that uh, someone said it was chilly outside, so she grabbed a bowl and a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that one. Anyway. Uh, on Thursday, the temperatures bounce back up to a high of 48, and there will be minimal cloud coverage throughout the day. Should be a nice day um, to find out what you can expect at the end of your week and your weekend. You can turn in t- tune into our show, The Rocky Mountain Review, on Thursday at the same time where we will tell you what's going on. Hopefully be enjoying some of that warm weather.
1: Ooh, yeah, hopefully. Well, unfortunately, I think that is the end of our show today, oh. but before we f- bid you farewell, we do have to say a couple thank yous, starting with... Damien, Damien Castile
0: Thanks Damien You made some awesome music It's playing right now
1: Of course We'd also like to thank Our two reporters That came in today Kota Babcock And Ryland Todd As well as Nick Baker For giving us a little bit Of a Super Bowl recap
0: And Katie Knowles For coming in And talking about Respect the dress It was really interesting Talking with Katie
1: we have to thank everyone and i mean everyone yep. at kcsu and at the rocky mountain student media because we really could not do this show without them
0: we really couldn't but uh, let's,
1: let's, let's give some honorable mentions let's fire <laughs> off some
0: names real quick julia badalees hannah copeland isaiah reyes peter walk monty daniels mia sawaya hunches Sinclair, claire desiree taylor sam the new production guy um you're all amazing we couldn't do this without you
1: JD, if he's still out there. Oh, yeah, there. JD,
0: our old uh, old host of the Rocky Mountain Review came by. Uh, would love to have him back, throwback special. Um, and I, I couldn't do this without you, Ren. I, I You're amazing, and I Aww. love doing this show.
1: Oh, my gosh, you're making me blush. I couldn't do this without you, Max. I love doing this show. It is the highlight of, well, the double highlight of my week, because we get to do it twice. twice. <laughs> yep,
0: and finally, we couldn't do this without you. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate it.
1: And with that...